Ready graphics? Ready theme? I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. Jim and Doris making out like hot little school children. <laughs> I have been wrong my entire life. You know, he's a bit of an Eeyore. That it was the first new piece of television in the 1990s. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season two, episode 14. What are you doing New Year's Eve? Hi, it's Lauren. Hey, this is Jesse. And welcome to our season finale. Oh, right. It's a season finale. It's our season finale, not the show season yeah. finale. Yeah. But our season finale, last year we ended with a New Year's episode, and so mm -hmm. we thought it would be proper to end this year with a New Year's episode. I'm just excited. I know what day it is in my life. Oh, so same. Win. Win's all around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, we have a very special guest in studio for this very special episode. Very special guest. Will you introduce yourself? Hi, it's me, Anita Flores. I am the special guest. I um, am so happy to be here. I also host a podcast. About Frasier. Yes, you do. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, I'm excited just to talk about Murphy Brown, and I probably will make a lot of comparisons to Frasier. I'm ready for it. I've already made Great. some notes. Mm -hmm. I'm Amazing. good. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, tell everyone the name of your podcast. Right. Yes. Well, see, you're better at promoting than I am. Uh, <laughs> the name of my podcast is I'm Listening, a Frasier fan podcast, available on everywhere, uh, Stitcher, a Spotify iTunes. Uh, those are the ones that come to mind right now. Yeah. Um, we will also say that we have been lucky enough to chat with Anita Pryor. We got to hang out with Anita on her podcast. Right. That is going to come out. I can't wait. At mm -hmm. some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't wait either. <laughs> we call this crossover and we're big fans. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, so this episode is written by Diane English, who's the creator of Murphy Brown, Anita, if you're unaware. And it actually aired January 1st, 1990. I don't know how often I've seen a show that actually aired on New Year's Day. Exactly. That's why I have this sort of shock in my voice. It's a New Year's episode. And it's funny because I was thinking it's quite rare for shows to do a New Year's episode, which makes it refreshing, you know, particularly mm -hmm. as myself who does not celebrate Christmas. Every show has a Christmas episode. New Year's, everyone can celebrate New Year's. It's great. Yeah. Now that I think about it, New Year's episodes are like now I'm just thinking of like sitcoms. Like mm -hmm. uh, Friends has definitely had some New Year's episodes. Uh, and I feel like there was a plot of a Seinfeld episode where they're talking about how they're going to ring in to the year 2000. But yeah, mm -hmm. now that I think about it, I can't really think about yeah. New Year's episodes. It's always Chris Christmas People episodes. are usually on hiatus during that time right. and they like the episodes to kind of line up a bit with what's happening, at least in America. Mm -hmm. And unlike in the UK thinking of that, we don't really do sort of the Christmas special that they are known for doing yeah. in the UK. Yeah, sure. it's become a convention that I think nowadays people are trying to bring back or bring more to the forefront of American television. But there's also the, I think within American culture, there's a huge travel culture within the holiday season, mm. that which is why so many things go on hiatus, because nobody's really sitting down watching TV. Yeah, right. During that time period, it's interesting you mentioned the, you know, as somebody who doesn't celebrate Christmas, uh, that reason and the fact that we have a diverse group of friends, Michael and I always send out New Year's cards. Like, this, is, this is the holiday card that yeah. everybody in our culture actually can recognize. Yeah. I'm trying to make that a thing, actually. So I'm so happy because I love mm -hmm. the idea of giving gifts on New Year's because it's like renewal. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's something to take you into the new year. 
and obviously it's just another day, but there is sort of this idea around New Year's of new beginnings and starting over and every, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you have your New Year's resolutions and then they go away after three months, but, <laughs> but the idea of, hey, I get a clean slate, whether it's literal or not, mm-hmm. figuratively in my head to start mm-hmm. over, here's a gift for that. And I, I've been trying to do that, but I'm the only one who does it. <laughs> So I'm so happy. Girl, I'm in. I'm all in. I do resolutions on my birthday. I do that, too. I do do that, too. I do like the idea when you were talking about starting, you know, sort of a New Year's tradition. I think something I've learned truly only until probably this year is that you can create any traditions that you want. Yeah. I think Uh that's something that I have learned extremely recently. Now, going back to the show. This episode was directed by Barnett Kelman. Now, um, we always like to joke about this because it's always directed by Barnett Kelman. The mm-hmm. first four years was directed by Barnett mm-hmm. and he came back for the finale. So he's kind of like our Jim Burroughs. Okay. Just to make sort of a Frasier reference. That helps yeah. so much. Doesn't it, right? Yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> also, speaking of the specs of this episode, because it was on one one do we think, what are the odds that this was the first new episode of the 1990s of television? Absolutely. Good point. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything was on hiatus. I have nothing in front of me to prove that, yeah. but I can't imagine having grown up in that time period. There was nothing on. Nothing. Yeah. Like, I think we can give Murphy Brown our own, you know, unproven stat that it was the first new piece of television in the 1990s. True. Okay. So now that we're we're getting into this episode, I think something that I really liked about the episode was the pressure. It was very relatable. The pressure that comes with New Year's. Yeah. Like, I think going yeah. back to, oh, do things that you actually want to do for New Year's makes all the difference. Because to me, all the pressure comes from going to parties. It's like, I feel like that's where all the pressure comes from. Mm-hmm. And then when you take the alcohol out of the mix, you're like, what am I doing here? Well, and also an argument about like the pressure of as an attendee, Mm -hmm. what type of party you want to go to. Like you kind of get that pressure of like, no, I of course I want to go to a rager because that's that's what we do. Like that's the cool. Like we want to get sparkly and we want to stay out super late and we want to be insane. And sometimes all I want to do is like play a board game and be yes, lame. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, th- I think also it's kind of a modern theme. I mean, it doesn't go that much into it, but you know, until I would say like in the last decade or so, there was no shame attached to forcing someone or making them feel bad for not drinking. Whereas I feel mm. like now in society, there's definitely mm-hmm. a conscious movement out there to be, mm-hmm. you know, what not everybody likes to drink. That's right. Just because it's New Year's, just because it's a party mm-hmm. and it's event, mm-hmm. if someone doesn't want to drink, you accept that and you offer them something else. You don't just goat them into going, oh, man, why are you not drinking? You know, and as a person who's not a big drinker, mm-hmm. that has been very refreshing to me mm-hmm. because I always was given this pressure. And that's I think it comes from both sides. I, my fiance is a teetotaler. And what's that? Uh, I'm Irish German, so I'm not. Teetotaler oh. is uh, sober without the... It's an old term. The negative yeah. reason why. Interesting. Teetotaling is just choose not okay. to Okay. And not because you're yeah. sober. Sure. But I believe it, sure. it It used to have a bad connotation. And it, it came from the idea yeah. that you were, you're were you just a tea drinker. Probably comes from like the 1800s. Yeah. Like, right? You're good at this, Jesse. Well, it's not spelled like tea. Oh, it's not? Oh, never mind. No. I have been it's wrong tea. my entire <laughs> I have been wrong my entire life. See, this is the problem with being dyslexic is that I hear so many words and I don't bother to see how they're spelled because I I just can't spell and that's hilarious. 
I looked it up because I'm a history nerd. Yeah. And it is actually from the early 19th century. And obviously- Are you talking about teetotaling? Teeto- so I have it up Oh, you well. do? Okay. This makes much more sense. It looks like it comes from the word temperance. Temperance. So I have a, a quote from the Charleston Observer. Oh, you're quicker than me. About where it specifically came from. Please. Was from 1833 at a meeting of the Preston Temperance Society in 1833. The story attributes the word to Richard Turner, who was a member of the society with a speech impediment. <gasps> no. Yep. And wow. he was trying to say that he will, they must insist upon total abstinence. Oh my God. But he stammered on the T. So it's T, 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 total abstinence. And that's why they're called teetotalers. It's like almost like a wow. typo changing the course of history. Uh-huh. Also, when you mentioned the Charleston Review, not that I know anything about it, I'm just picturing, mm-hmm. yes, those are the people drinking tea, people that work yes. at the Charleston Review. See, you see just, why maybe I thought this? I'm just picturing people wearing top hats and monocles. Yeah. It makes sense. My teetotaling vegan fiance loves tea. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> you know? I actually, I had thought about the episode. The reason I haven't really seen Murphy Brown is because Unless I'm wrong, was it streaming at any point anywhere or is it currently? So it's not streaming. And what channel was it on? It was on CBS. It was on CBS. And when did it end? It ended in 1998. Right. It was really a a small chance that I was ever going to watch it. No, it was on TV Land, probably. You might have caught it there. Well, I didn't have cable. Oh, there you go. So that's a big mm-hmm. that's a big thing. I didn't have cable. So I, you know, I didn't have Nick at night. I'm sure if I had had access to Nick at night, I would have been watching uh, Murphy Brown reruns. for you. And when I was mm-hmm. when I watched that episode, it really made me realize I haven't seen that many episodes of Murphy Brown. And I really liked the episode. I was definitely like as I was watching it thinking like, oh, wow, like, oh, this is another like these are my coworkers, but also they're like my family yeah. kind of vibe. And mm-hmm. like just also really open like it was it's definitely a serious subject, like mm-hmm. the fact that she's a, a recovering alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And um, and it really just goes right into that or er, like early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it was still so funny, but very earnest. Yeah. Which I really like. I mean, that's really the sad part. And that's kind of what gave us the impetus to start this podcast that it wasn't streaming. And as we talked about on your show, it's, it is the music, unfortunately. And so it may just never happen. Now, mm-hmm. there are illegal ways in which it is out there. We're not going to tell you what they are, but you but can that's find right. it. You may I'll find fig- it on our social media. Maybe I'll figure it out. Yep. Maybe figure it out. It's it's sad because exactly the reaction that you're having is the reaction that I think a lot of people will have if they mm-hmm. just could get their hands on it. Right. Not to mention the fact that people are going through television series, you know, like they're a two hour film. They're mm-hmm. devouring them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've told the story on the pod. I may have told it on your pod, but I always think of the story of Tina Fey with her like 14 year old daughter who would get a recommendation, go into her room and come back and go, what's next? What do you have for me? Okay, go in her room, watch it, come back. Okay, what do you have? So there's such a generation of people, including ourselves, who want more content. Right. And so mm-hmm. if they hear, oh, this show, I heard it's really good. It had a lot of Emmys. It was a big thing. I'm going to try it. Like, I can't tell you how many people who have come up to me and told me that they're going through cheers right now because it's on Netflix or on Hulu or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean I've mentioned this many times on my podcast. I haven't really gotten into Cheers yet. And I think, you know, there's two factors at play. One, I think the setting of the bar kind of bums me out. Uh, I mean, a bunch of like white middle-aged men drinking <laughs> in a bar is not like happy for you. Right. And like, I also have, I, I, I have yet to move past or just accept uh, Sam Malone as a character, just Ooh. as a, <laughs> just, you know, really like arrogant and like, oh, this is what, 
It's a hard character to meet now. Yes, right. yes. And so Murphy Brown, like, how refreshing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. she's obviously a feminist. And from what I just saw of all the characters, like, you know who these people are almost immediately, including yep. Miles, mm-hmm. who thinks he's drunk, but he's not. <laughs> oh, and, Miles. And who is, what is the name of the kind of serious reporter who... That's Jim Dial. Jim. Jim Dial. My beloved Jim Dial. Yeah, Jim. Her favorite. Jim definitely has a... Frasier-esque air about him, kind of reserved, but also like, you know, supportive and, you know, has a good time, has a nice Mm. passionate kiss with his Mm. wife at the end of the episode. Oh, they're super, super cute. So when I'm watching Murphy Brown, it's encouraging to see like, especially, you know, we're in an age where, yeah, that kind of TV is no longer a a woman who uh, knows what she wants and is facing her demons and stuff, uh, I would say that's not like ahead of its time anymore. It's like, we're here, it's Mm -hmm. here. So yeah, man, I would really love to watch it from the beginning. It might be time for me to just buy it. Maybe I should just buy it. Here's the other issue. Uh Only season one is available to (gasps) buy. Oh my gosh. Because because music, right? Also, when Murphy Brown was released on DVD, it did not do well. Now, I think that Streaming culture is just different than buying and owning the show. They made seasons one through three like they were ready to go. But because the music rights were so expensive, it didn't outweigh the cost of how much the first season did. I feel like the fact that the new sort of reboot, I know, kind of like there was one season and that's it. And Mm -hmm. the fact that there was low DVD sales, all of this to me has to do with the fact that no one can watch it anywhere. Yeah, that yep. I think no, that no, no, is no. the biggest. When, honestly, reason. when they when they announced the revival and we kept waiting for them to release it, uh, mm-hmm. I was shocked because the whole thing about revival culture is the fact that it is available to everybody. Exactly, and so the yep. audience becomes a snowball, mm-hmm. and it just keeps mm-hmm. building and building. Right. Yeah. Well, Will and Grace got announced, and then right after that, Hulu had the full series. Yeah, but right. also before that, it was streaming. Well, they had the box sets. Or- or the box that it wasn't streaming, right. but the yeah. box sets were all out. My friend owned all yeah. of them. I own a That's lot right. of seasons of Will and Grace. Like mm-hmm. it was at least mm-hmm. kind of available. And yeah. the fact that it's just not mm-hmm. was kind of like mm-hmm. a, I think, a nail in their coffin, Absolutely. unfortunately. It didn't give, I think yeah. it was, and it's not their fault. It was, I feel like Warner Brothers and, you can't really say CBS because Warner Brothers is who owns the rights to the, producing it as streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so much mm-hmm. logistics that I just don't get, but. It was really shooting them in the foot and they really did not. It wasn't fair to them. Yeah, I, I just think it really stinks that uh, that it's the only reason people aren't seeing it is because they can't. Yeah. But I just, if anyone's listening who can make it all available, like I think I would buy it, honestly. I really want to watch it from the beginning. But, also, it was a perfect transition uh, in terms of like, I definitely watch Frasier before I go to bed a lot. Mm-hmm. It definitely helps me get into a, a nice mm-hmm. sleepy spot because it's just comforting. But I watched yeah. one of my favorite episodes, Falling Asleep Last Night, which was when Niles has a Halloween party. So it was like, a, oh my God, yes. It was a beautiful transition going from that to first thing this morning. I woke up and watched this New Year's episode. I also didn't really know, and now I'm starting to understand what the issue is with the music because mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was, is it like new music at the beginning of every episode? Yes. Yeah. It's Motown and it's all But it's Motown. great. It's I was so like, great. oh my God, I uh-huh. love this. And, you know, this is sort of when. I feel the influence of Murphy Brown kind of did away with the theme song because eventually 
mm-hmm. as the seasons go on, they didn't even have a song. They just would go right into the episode. We just mm-hmm. sort of have the title. And then I would see more and more shows that were doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But these little vignettes at the beginning are really great. But yeah. he, And so sometimes you can't cut them right. because they have to do with the mm-hmm. plot. Like this one, you could. It would have been fine. Sure. But yeah. she also sings within some of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Going back to you saying like having the show now realizing what it was at the time. One of the things that we talk about on the pod a lot is the fact that there are a lot of shows that have been coming out in the last few years where people were like, oh, the first of its kind. Like, it's so nice to see somebody finally talking about this issue in a frank, but also like in a, like a dark mm-hmm. comedy kind of way. And the thing that always frustrates us is Murphy Brown did it right. in the 80s and the 90s. and But nobody knows that. Like mm-hmm. this talk about alcoholism, the talk about a woman, quote unquote, I hate this phrase, but of a certain age mm. being a viable sexual object, being a single woman who had like her life is not over because she passes 50. Like mm-hmm. you're looking at not only a generation, like seeing Jim and Doris making out like hot little school children (laughs) and being the older couple is wonderful. And that's something that now things get praised for as if it was unique. Right. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons we talk a lot about this show. We talk about Golden Girls, like these shows that were ahead of their time that people aren't realizing when people are doing these shows now. They're like, oh, it's so progressive and groundbreaking. It's like, but they did it. Like we we had these role models, but we can't access them. Yeah, it is very frustrating. Okay, so. This seems like the right time to mention that. So I went on vacation to Mexico in October and I befriended an artist named Armando who owned an art gallery in Oaxaca. And uh, my boyfriend and I ended up like hanging out with him. Like we went out for drinks. And because I am who I am and I love Fraser naturally, this was all in Spanish. Keep in mind, even though I'm not fluent but I get by. But I did ask him after a few drinks. I was like, are you familiar with Frasier? And he was like, yeah, it's my favorite show. (gasps) No. (gasps) And so we started talking, you know, obviously about Frasier and why he likes the show. And I was like, what other American television do you like? And he was like, Murphy Brown. No. (gasps) Oh, wow. I I would recommend him to come on the pod, but I don't think uh, he speaks English. Then there you go. We have a However, I had him on my podcast in Spanish. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done doing it in Spanish. <laughs> there, it's. I'm very excited about it, you, but I'm getting it like a translator to, to do VO that we can do it in English. Mm-hmm. But we did talk and he does love Murphy Brown. And the reason I bring this up is because, again, I do see parallels between yeah. the two shows. Not that we got mm-hmm. into the specifics, but again, you've got serious issues mixed with deep relationships and i just thought it was really sweet so you've i mean there's at least one murphy brown fan in oaxaca mexico oh yes there is and i what i didn't get to really ask him is where was he watching it because obviously yeah. i'm fascinated by how people are watching american yeah. television in different countries mm-hmm. um, including murphy brown which must be even tougher since we can barely watch it yeah. ourselves <laughs> right oh also i just realized so this episode was obviously extra special for me because Jane Leaves is in it, yes. which you both knew. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I do rarely see her in other things. And the only things I've actually seen her in are two arc episode of Seinfeld, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. she plays a virgin who may or may not, you know, sleep with Jerry. And then this. Uh, oh, and uh, Have you not seen her in Hot in Cleveland? Haven't really watched Hunt Cleveland. I don't know if that's streaming anywhere. I know it was on TV land. That's where it originally aired. But I haven't really seen Hot in Cleveland. So yeah, I really haven't seen her in much else, but I did enjoy her in this episode. But yeah, when I was watching her in this, it was interesting because I think it was confirmation for me that she does switch up the accent a bit. Yeah. Because when I was watching Frasier, I think this 
you know, came to me over time, her accent definitely changes on the show. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it's definitely more, what I, speaking as a non-British person, in Frasier, it's very almost whimsical and Mary Poppins-esque early mm -hmm. on. Um, but then watching this episode, which is was on before Frasier, it like fully confirmed that for me. Like, okay, she's switching it up. I'm curious. I don't know what she actually normally talks like. I think that this is how she normally talks. Yeah, it sounded and then, normal. Yeah, my understanding is is that when she was on Frasier, she was doing in some capacity a Manchester accent. Right. Yeah. I wonder, based on what you're saying, if maybe she was told to make it less harsh for Americans, so they could understand her. It could be. Yeah. I was just gonna say that if you want to see Jane Leaves do different accent work with the British, uh, she guest stars an episode of Murder, She Wrote, in which she plays a really posh little twit. Ooh. And yeah, it's a very interesting version of RP. I would definitely check that out. Also, I need to check out Murder, She Wrote, yeah. my parallel show. I love yeah. it. That also brings up something. I have a lot of things I was going to talk about within the episode, but since we're already bringing them up, I forget if you remember we told you that at this time... Jane was dating Grant Shaw, who plays Miles. If, if you did tell me, I forgot. And so interesting. Yes. And so the reason I, it reminded me to mention it now is because they both were on Murder, She Wrote. And when Grant was on our show, he talked about how they both went to like the anniversary party for Murder, She Wrote. Well, we've heard both stories. Were you guys dating before she was on the show? We were. Okay. And Diane, Diane, uh, I think if I'm remembering correctly, she might have asked me. We're interested in bringing Jane on. Would you mm -hmm. be all right with that? Mm -hmm. And and you know, what am I gonna say? <laughs> yeah, don't hire my girlfriend. You yeah, know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's not a good one. Uh, um, no. Uh, yeah. So I was like, of course, because that's what I thought. And then Barnett thought it was after, and then I thought, well, he would maybe know more than I would. Yeah. So yeah. No, it was because yeah. she was roommates with Faith, right? Yes, that's how we met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she and Faith were roommates. It's weird. It's you know, it's, <laughs> it's the smallest smallest world. I actually went to the taping of the pilot for Frasier. So and you know could pretty much tell then that this was going to be something. And that's how they all kind of met each other. Yeah. So the reason that she's on the show is one because she's brilliant, but she got to know everybody because mm -hmm. she uh, was a roommate with Faith, and they're I believe they're still really good friends today. I love yep. the mesh yeah. meshing of universes. Yeah, it really is. TV universes. Yeah. Faith was just commenting on Jane's daughter's Instagram post. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. It's yeah. adorable. She was at her christening. Yeah. Wow. She, uh, the best. Shall we get into it? Yes, let's get into it. So I'm just going to very quickly talk about the song because we like to give credit to the creators behind the music. Uh, what Are You Doing New Year's Eve is actually a song from 1947. I did not know this. Did you guys... I know definitely do. No, okay. Yeah, I love this song. I've done deep dives on this song. It's by Frank Lesser, who wrote "Guys and Dolls" and "How to Succeed in Business," which has a bit of a Fraser connection. Yeah, again, mm -hmm. because um, <laughs> "Guys and Dolls" and "How to Succeed in Business," co-written by Jim Bros, is father. It was originally recorded by Margaret Weeding or Wedding um, in 1947. Um, it hit the charts with the Orioles, peaking at number nine on the Billboard's best-selling retail rhythm and blues chart in December of 1949. But a fact that I thought was interesting, which I had mentioned to Jesse last week, and I love what you said, Jesse, if you remember, was apparently mm -hmm. Frank Lesser hated that this song was only sung around the holidays. He did not write it as a holiday song. He felt that it was a song to say, oh, I've met you and I love you. What are you doing far off in the future? Like, let's make a date for New Year's because I can't see spending the rest of my life without you. 
Do you remember what you said, Jesse, when I said that? Well, my thing was like, you know, there's intention and then there's you can't. I mean, literally been talking about this with separating J.K. Rowling from Harry Potter Mm -hmm. in that, you know, once something is out there, it's no it no longer belongs to the creator. It ends up belonging to the people who absorb it. Right. That's how we're, you know, keeping Harry Potter in the good place. But uh, (laughs) if you write a song that literally says New Year's Eve in it, it's gonna be a holiday song. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry, sir. I understand your frustration and your intention with the song, but you put a buzzword in the title (laughs) and thus we're gonna keep it in that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite version of it is the Harry Connick Jr. one, because I just think it's one of the sexiest versions of that song I've ever heard in my life. Oh, I'll have to hear that. That man can do no wrong. I'll have to check out all of these versions. This is the only one there's, I've heard. There's a lot. Everyone from Bette Midler to Ella Fitzgerald has recorded this song. I got a long On list. their holiday albums. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this version is from 1975 and they are a Motown group, Gladys Knight and the Pips, mm-hmm. as opposed to just Gladys Knight. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about Gladys Knight today because she's such an amazing woman, actress. Many people may know her as the bee on The Masked Singer. So she's gotten mm-hmm. a lot of popularity, but... Oh my gosh. She was the third runner up in the first season. of. But we're going to talk about her later on when another song comes up. So the original Pips mostly made up of her family. Mm-hmm. And it was her sister and her cousins. And then eventually it became her brother and her cousins. And you may know some of their songs. Um, I heard it through the grapevine, the midnight train to Georgia, one of Rolling Stone's best 500 songs of all time. Mm. They disbanded in 1989, but they were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Grammy Hall of Fame, uh, recipients of the Rhythm and Blues Foundation Lifetime Achievement Award. And the funniest story is that when they were approached to be signed by Motown in 1966, and everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're so on board. And Gladys Knight was like, no, uh, we're going to get lost for some of their larger names. I don't want to do this. This is a bad idea. And she got outvoted. Mm. That's just a little small information about uh, the Pips. I learned something new. I know. Oh, also, the Pips mm-hmm. are named after a relative of theirs whose nickname was Pip. Mm. Oh, not what I thought. So should we get into the episode? Let's. So we have the song that's playing and we have our little vignette. Now, I tried to find out who this guy was. Did you find out, Jesse, who this guy was? <laughs> I didn't. I just wrote, this employee is definitely a dancer in real life. He's acting H to T. Yes. Leg extension, finger with toy, physical comedy clarity. He's clearly a dancer. But he's uncredited. And I was shocked. Yeah, in the opening. Because yes, he doesn't say anything. So you could say he's an extra, but he interacts Mm -hmm. so much. That's not considered an extra. Sure. That leg extension alone deserved a credit. So pretty much the gist of this opening is that they're putting everything up for New Year's and everything is going wrong. Now, at one point, they're hammering a New Year's sign. And my thought was... This is an 80-year-old bar, and you're putting a hammer and nail into it instead of tape or I don't know. I don't know why that bugged me. Uh, to me, I would think the 80-year-old bar, I would be like, yeah, it's, it's old already. Oh, so yeah. That's, so. that's how I would think of it. It's Phil's family's bar. Well, so this was this was very pre-New York renters, let's use, you know, contact strips. Yeah. <laughs> and also that Phil is very patient if not annoyed with people he hires something that's like this has happened in the past you've not seen this episode anita yep. where we go fire him and phil just, <laughs> just goes fire him, and um, obviously that's comedy but he never fires these people maybe because he's grumpy mm. but he's got a good heart he does have a good heart he does yeah. i think also phil is if he's paying money for something He's going to get what he paid for, whether he enjoys them or not. Yeah. So the Christmas sign comes down. The New Year's sign goes up. 
he knocks over all of the glasses with a broom as you do. And Phil just yep. is so done with it that he uh, just throws the last glass and, and walks away. <laughs> then we go into the first scene. We have our regulars at the hero table. It's actually in the script. It's called the hero table, Anita, which is interesting. Yeah, what well, interesting. Well, it's like the, it's the table that Marty sits at when he goes to the bar in Fraser. Oh, There's always that central yeah. table. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Because yeah. it's the best location. Okay. For the cameras to be able to pick everybody up pretty right. much. That yeah. makes sense. Murphy comes in, is definitely on a mission. She has found out that Corky has a New Year's party. This is the worst news that could possibly happen. And Murphy has come up with excuses for everybody, yeah. which is great. Uh, <laughs> Doris has the flu, fever, chills, projectile vomiting. Frank's new girlfriend has recently put on a lot of weight and doesn't want to be seen in public. Grown. Miles says that they know that there's a party and, and they're going to go, which mm -hmm. of course Murphy is shocked about. Can I say something about Murphy's excuse for Frank? Yes, please. So obviously, grown, weight joke. However, here's why I don't mind that the joke is in there. It is so clearly not something that Murphy approves of, and therefore it doesn't work for herself later when she says it. But it's so totally one that I believe Murphy picked because Frank would say that. Interesting. Ah. There's something about that excuse that it is not that Murphy thinks it's a good or a viable excuse, but that she comes up with the perfect excuse that would make sense coming from Frank. Yeah. And also the fact that He's not saying that Frank is saying that. He's saying that the woman is saying that. And that's her own personal feelings, I feel like. I mean, it's an old joke, yes. But like, I'm okay with it because it's supposed to be his, his girlfriend is a little insecure right now. Here's how I interpreted it. Please. Coming in as having not seen the show that much. To me, and, and it to me, it connected with him at the, like, after they play the games and it's been decided he's going to die early. Yeah. Not knowing much about his character, mm -hmm. it sounds like, it's, you know, he's a bit of an Eeyore. I don't know, maybe ha has had some, oh, some, that's great. some rough things happen to him. He's a neurotic mess. He's a yeah. neurotic mess. And so like, yes, grown to the weight joke. But the fact that the excuse that Murphy comes up with is related to some kind of flaw re related to the woman he's dating is how I interpreted it. As in, he doesn't ha he hasn't had a lot of luck in many areas of his life. And so the fact that yeah. this is catered to him a specific excuse about an issue with someone he's dating mm -hmm. made sense to me. Oh my God, you just got Frank. I just got you've Frank. you've seen one episode. And Lauren, that's the point I was making is that I don't think that the weight yeah. joke is a problem. What I think is that it's a genius writing and that right. Murphy knows her yeah. friend really well, that all of her excuses for them are perfectly mm -hmm. catered to them because she's right. good at this yeah. stuff. No, that's true. And that's why when she tries to be like, the guy I'm dating, it makes no she sense because Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say kudos for Corky for being smart enough now to get that. Like in sure. season one, Corky wouldn't have gotten yeah, that. Quirky. She would have been like, oh, no. that's so terrible. Well, can you come alone? Now, uh, Jim who says, hey, now, which is his sort of his, his catchphrase. Oh, yeah. That he admits at first that he wasn't fond of Corky, which is very honest. But he feels that she's grown a lot <laughs> since last year and he wants to show her support. And I wrote, damn professional, Jim. Yeah, I mean, Jim's the he, best. From that comment, I was like, all right, the show's been on for a few years. That they've made these breakthroughs. How long? Mm. This season? is their second season. Oh, it's oh second. Yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah, tremendous yeah. strides have been made. Yeah. If he's saying, yeah, yeah, and now that now we're getting along. Well, and the great thing about this show, and going back to what you said at the beginning about uh, them just going right in with this issue, the her drinking issue, is that this show starts with her fresh out of Betty Ford. Oh, yeah. For the pilot. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So like they go right into this, and we find out later. This is a fun tidbit for you, and one one of the reasons why Jim is so beloved jim is the one who drove her to betty ford oh yeah, he didn't trust putting her on like, a plane so he was like i'll do it yeah there's something about jim that's very much like he looks out for all of them he's also obviously a kook himself once he like gets a little loose but 
Corky is, we've talked a lot on the show, is our newfound favorite growth character because it's very easy to write her off. And when we were kids, we didn't miss some of the the nuance yeah. of her growth. But I really appreciate the way that they give her these like moments of validation in talking about her mm. already because she has grown so much already in a season and a half. Yeah. yeah. It's a little off topic, but has to do with this episode, which I noticed. I'm fascinated with watching actors trying to pretend to eat when they don't want to eat because they know that they can't spit it out Mm. because there aren't going to be a lot of takes Mm -hmm. and because the dialogue is so quick and they have to keep talking. So they need to make it look like they're Mm -hmm. eating, but they're not eating. Because Grant Shaw, who usually like is on point with everything, he starts molding his fries like with, with, I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't. And I thought, interesting. And I feel like that was him pretending. I mean, I think the thing that I generally pick up on is, uh, and probably because I saw some article or meme, is how often people are carrying empty coffee cups. Oh, yes, I so saw that. That oh bugs me. always notice. As for food, I feel like food stuff I don't notice unless I'm watching something like the seventh time or something. So yeah. because this was the first time I didn't That's really true, notice. Yeah. I've seen it a bunch of times. You've seen it a bunch yeah. of times. But like in a movie, you'd have a spit bucket. I just find this hilarious. Like, I know it's hard, so I'm not like, you know, food bashing anyone. So pretty much it goes back and forth. Well, first, Frank starts by saying that, you know, if Murphy's there. It's it's going to be a really, really great party. But Murphy makes a point to let them know that all these references, which, by the way, this is the first time on Murphy Brown where almost all of the references they're making, like Wilbur Mills, I didn't really know. And I had to look up. They're definitely like prominent people of the time. And um, Murphy did things like, here's an example. She um, at the Washington Press Corps bash and saying, if I were your woman, Jim recalls how she hung her bra on the White House Christmas tree angel. And they all think this is really funny. And so a party can't be dull without Murphy. But Murphy wants to remind them that she was drinking all that time. All of her adult life, she watched New Year's from the bottom of a scotch bottle. Mm-hmm. And as much as, you know, she bemused that she hopes that people are still talking about how she mooned Jean Kirkpatrick, uh, she thought it would be nice to live through her 40s. So no more party doll. Phil lets her know that that's okay and they love her either way. Even though his 1982 bar tab paid for uh, wood paneling in his basement. So then finally, Quirky finds them. Murphy pretends like she didn't know that there was a party. And Murphy makes up an excuse, as we mentioned, tries to take Frank's excuse as to why she can't go. But Quirky, she cooked all this food. And then at the end of the night, they're going to watch Heidi. I know exactly which version of Heidi she's talking about. I also oh, have really? it on VHS. Oh, yeah. It's funny because I wondered if this is also a reference to the, the famous screening of Heidi on television that interrupted a football game and people didn't get to see the end of it. And they were really, really upset Ooh. because it was time mm-hmm. for Heidi to air and the football game wasn't over and they missed the Raiders coming back and winning. What a time to be alive. So Murphy really needs to confess to everybody that New Year's Eve is amateur night. Once a year, everyone goes out, drinks too much and puts a lampshade on their head and passes out for pros like her. You know, New Year's Eve was no excuse and she's retired her jersey and she doesn't want to take any chances. So Miles chimes in. This is where we have the discussion, right? That just because you're not drinking on New Year's doesn't mean that you can't have a good time. Mm -hmm. Even though Jim can't get in one more thing. Apparently, she did the all uh, dropping horse manure on Maureen Dean's house, setting it on fire and running away. (laughs) Jim loves these stories. Murphy's a notorious prankster. She is. Sounds like it. So Murphy drunken pranking, I can't yeah. imagine. And that's the yeah. thing I thought of is that we find out later is that she still does these pranks. 
So she still is herself, which is what she was afraid of in the pilot, Mm -hmm. was that she wouldn't be herself without the alcohol. Right. So pretty much the end of the scene is that everybody comes together for Murphy and they say they're going to be there for her. Frank's going to pick her up, kind of be her date, bring her home, no pressure, that she can do this. She seems a little unsure, you know, but she wants to spend New Year's with her friends. So she says yes. Oh, I do want to say that the lampshade comment made me laugh out loud because I have a Christmas DVD set of uh, four office holiday episodes Mm. and there is one where michael scott breaks out all the booze and his moment of realizing the party's actually going is when he drops a lampshade on his head i remember that and it's like oh the party's happening and i was like well yeah apparently that is a thing now lampshades mean the party's rocking when i think of lampshade on head i think of the office that specific episode yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's a very sort of like old thing that like i don't know where it comes from that you would get so drunk that you would put a lampshade on your head. Apparently it was like And I've never, never seen it in real life, yeah, by the way. No, Just but it was, I always heard, <laughs> I heard that joke all the time growing up in sitcoms. And I was like, where is the rampant thing that you're putting a lampshade on your head? Where did this come from? Like, it has to come from something. Was it a, I don't know. There's a lampshade next to me. I've never considered putting it on my head. But perhaps I've never been properly 90s drunk. Maybe it's 90s, 80s, maybe 90s it's drunk. 90s drunk and it comes from specifically these Hollywood types who have access yeah, they started right it. they have access to all of the alcohol and drugs and and at one that's of true. at some sort of cast party somebody maybe put a lampshade on their head and that's where it started yeah. i just made that up oh, I, I love it yes. maybe it's from the 20s when there wasn't really much to do and oh, also a little flapper with a lamp yeah and the alcohol was probably you know pretty strong during doing a charleston <laughs> exactly yeah with a lampshade i'm not mad at it so no. we find ourselves at the party in question it is I don't, I, here's what I wrote. First I wrote, what's the song that's playing sadly in the background? Because I know what the second one is that they play, but I don't know what the first one is, but it is a sad lulling song in the background that sounds slightly familiar. Yeah, I know. I can't figure it out either. I know the second definitely one. definitely a bummer. <laughs> yeah. And also yeah. something I hadn't noticed till rewatching it, there are so many people reading. Yeah. My first impression of it was, Corky's party is, well, it's full. <laughs> Her apartment is a vision in what must have been her mother's and grandmother's concept of feminine grandeur. Yeah, it was like Laura Ashley threw up in there. There are light colors. Florals abound. Perhaps I've been watching a bit too much of The Crown because when I saw the large portrait of Corky in her pageant tiara and bouquet of roses, I thought it was the queen. Um, (laughs) Because I thought it was brunette at first. And then I realized it was Corky. Anita, if you're unaware, she was Miss America, but by default, because the original Miss America had to step down. I because did of not bestiality. Yes, yeah, bestiality. <laughs> oh, uh, no, I didn't. But yeah. this adds another layer to her character. Yeah. When for she me. said she loved animals, no one took her seriously. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, this show is genius, and yeah. it creates a very interesting runner-up complex that Corky has. Yeah, that's really fun when it pops up because it gives her a dimension, which is one of the things we love about these characters. Is like Corky could be a very easy stereotype. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, like, just her name alone gives me already a very perky, quirky image and and matches her voice. But but two things. One, when I, the first thing I thought of when I was watching the first scene in her house was truly straight, just thinking of my grandmother's funeral in sixth grade. Oh, no. Just somber, you know, quiet. Mm -hmm. People are eating, don't really know what to do with themselves. That was like immediately, or I think at some point somebody makes a joke about it feeling like a funeral. Maybe it was Murphy. Yep. I will say, uh, I'm so glad that this was your intro to Corky because Corky's arc in this episode alone makes me really, really yeah. happy. Oh, it's great. And her final sure. moment with Noel, we'll talk about it. Yes. Yeah, I love Get it. Get it, Corky. 
So speaking of Corky, you know, so we have this beautiful portrait of her in a tiara holding a scepter and roses, our queen in her own home. And she, I noticed, is standing by the food table with the apps and just looking lost and kind of hesitantly serving people appetizers on little plates. And as we're panning over to the door, there's a bust on a plinth next to the front door. (laughs) It is so clearly what she was raised to believe is a grand home. As a mm-hmm. this woman of the South, I keep reminding myself that this is an apartment in D.C., not <laughs> a home in the South. Oh, my gosh. So it is very light. It is very floral. We pan over. We see the bus on the plinth as Murphy and Frank walk in, which I noticed very fashionably late considering the number in attendance, which I'm sure was a matter of I have done this when I am nervous about being at a party and wanting to get there. I don't want to be right. there too early. I want to make sure it's That's already right. going so I can just kind yep. of sneak in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus a New Year's party because you know it's going to go at least, you know, past midnight. Yeah. So you kind of want to start later. Of course. Especially if you're not drinking, don't get there early and be awkward longer. Yeah. I truly, this was me last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I truly, out of sheer paranoia, just a quick backstory, I had to take a drug test for a job. <gasps> and even though alcohol doesn't show up, I was still paranoid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, so I, that's why I didn't drink before I went to this party because I was like, just in case, I don't know. I just, just in case, I'm not going to drink. <laughs> and I was so stressed out about going to this party and not drinking. I went through the same thing of like, got to get there at a reasonable time. Can't be too early. Don't want it to be so early that there's only eight people there and we have to have earnest conversations <laughs> one by one or, or or in a circle. I need to yep, get there no. by the time people themselves are drunk enough that they aren't going to be... I don't have to worry about how I'm going to leave conversations and they don't have to worry about how they're going to leave conversations. So I truly was really relating hard to Murphy when she walked into that party. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I have been this person at so many parties, even when I am drinking. Yeah. And I just, I don't want to be part of the, yeah, those first eight people who are trying Mm -hmm. to get the party going. Right. I just want to show up as a party. Yeah. But not a, not a, uh, a messy party. So as they walk in to not a fun party, I wrote, as they take one look at the comatose ensemble and go back out into the hallway as quickly as possible and somehow completely avoid being seen, which I would think if I was at that party, any time the door opened, I would swim to it. Help. They're just lulled into submission at this party. Oh, this is when Frank says, I know what you're thinking. It looks like a funeral. Mm -hmm. And but he he thinks it's hopeful. It's a good sign. People are clearly pacing themselves. You know, so she'll be in good, com- good sober company. Nice and she work. says that every Murphy mm-hmm. says everyone she knows from the office is there. Do they need to stay for the whole thing? Can they just grab a few things and go? Um, I do want to point out that they are in good, like New Year's Eve black ensemble. She's got like a sparkle top. It's not the black tie ensemble we see from the dials who are about to arrive, but they look really nice. They're dressed for a nice party, not a funeral. And Frank is encouraging her. He says, you know, you're just another guest. Just let's just go in. No one is expecting you to perform which is a really nice way to state her concerns. Like that is a phrase that I've heard people use nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Toward people that is like, he gets her. Frank and Murphy's friendship is so special. We talk about this a lot. They really get each other in a very platonic, supportive way. And so they head into the party. The second they walk in. Now, Lauren, do you know which guest this is? So I have no idea, but it's not our usual crew. They're the ones that when yeah, okay. they're leaving and Corky's like, no, you should stay. That's that's exactly. our people. All right, this guy speaks and I was like, I, am I supposed to know him? No. But now we do, because as Murphy enters, he goes, hey, Murphy's here. Let the games begin. Right. That's a uh, lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. She's so much, so much pressure. And which she already has as the, you know, the, the poster child for FYI. Mm-hmm. 
So I can understand this place of, you know, I, I even feel that as an actor around my family where people, oh, the number of times that I have people in my family be like, oh, sing us a song. I'm like, no, thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, but this is what you do. I'm like, not on cue. And I don't really want to work right now. Like, uh, I want to just enjoy myself. The equivalent of when I tell people I'm a comedian or when I was still dating on the apps and a guy would go, tell mm. me a joke. Oh. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. Very, I don't know why yeah, people can, think that that's not annoying. How do you not yeah. know that that's so obnoxious? I'm not your dancing monkey. Exactly. Yeah. Like, okay, do my taxes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand you. <laughs> so. Corky swoops in. Corky, the hostess with the mostest, is thrilled to see them. Um, she, in in her best, would be passive aggressive if she had a mean bone in her body, compliments Murphy on her dress, that it's perfect for that short-waisted problem, <laughs> which as a short-waisted person, it is a struggle, y'all. Mm. It, it, you know, it's hard. It's hard to look proportional sometimes. <laughs> and then we get meet her date. Dr. Noel Gardner. Oh, no. Also known as guest star Douglas Sills. Ugh. I love Douglas Sills so much. Lauren and I have talked about this. Mm. I won't go too into depth because we want to make sure we get through a very long party here. Mm -hmm. But um, Anita, are you familiar with Douglas Sills as an actor? Oh, no. I was just ugh at the name because he just sounded so uh, like he was going to be a jerk uh, or the name of yeah. the character but no i'm not yeah. familiar with the actor so douglas is a best known for his work on broadway is an incredible tenor um mm. i fell in love with him originally in the scarlet pimpernel he was the lead role in scarlet pimpernel y'all want to hear a great tenor go watch his into the fire performance from the tonys he's wonderful he hits these notes no one should be able to hit that well um he was great as the the role that steve that steve martin made famous in the little shop of horrors movie he played the dentist on the broadway revival and also slays it uh he was born in 1960 one of the things i wrote as i was watching this episode and i'm so glad i was right is that he carries a very like clean cut midwestern boy air especially with that voice he's from michigan this makes sense it's a good handsome midwestern boy he plays these very confident men often which noel definitely has he grew up in a Jewish household in Michigan, oh. and he's very close friends with two of my favorite creators in the world, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, and grew up with them in their like childhood making Super 8 films during their early Evil Dead years. Never would have guessed oh. he was uh, part of the tribe. Me neither. But he's gotten a really solid reputation as a character, stage character actor. Works a ton in Southern California, and then, of course, came over to Broadway and has worked a ton over there. Most recently, he was in the musical of Dave in D.C. The year before, he was in Warpaint. Yes, that's what I saw him in. I saw him in that. Mm -hmm. I know who this is now. He is incredible, and as evidenced by this episode, very strong in uh, playing very strong characters. <laughs> Speaking of Dr. Noel Gardner, Corky introduced him saying he's currently at Bethesda Naval Hospital, but he'll soon be opening his own practice. And this is when Noel comes in like a wrecking ball. He, he offers that, you know, that's right, it's full-service medicine, dermatology to cardiology, 10 doctors, no waiting, and there's validated parking. Goes for the business card. Don't be afraid. Just come in and chat. Maybe get a physical. Frank, take a look at that mole for you. Frank touches his neck. Murphy, when was your last mammogram? She looks down. Been putting it off, have you? Not a good idea. Call me. I love that she looks down. They're both just like, oh, God. Oh, Why are you talking God. about my tits? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, they're not even showing. What I enjoy that Corky does during this moment is she does the like looking on knowingly like a good doctor's wife. She's just kind of like nodding. Like, mm, yeah. In this tirade, 
kisses Corky goodbye, says, your friends are great. We'll see you later, guys, okay? And leaves like the storm he was. <laughs> Just in and out, get the job done. What I think is interesting is that Corky then asks them, what do they want to drink? Yeah, she's- I find it considering she has this big rule she's created, but then doesn't kind of lead with that information. And hasn't told anyone yet. Were they all no. thinking, oh, the alcohol's coming later? I think they did. Yeah. I have, I've never been to a party like that. Or is it, we're going to wait we're gonna, and, and bust it out like closer to midnight? And I get that with like bubbles. But considering people have been giving her bottles of wine, we found out, like, I want to know where they think it was going. I think that would uh, that would have come up pretty early. Yeah. Somebody would have been like, okay, yeah. where's the bar? That's. Yeah, that's what I think a normal situation would have led to. I generally ask that question. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. Yeah, there's a there's an obvious area where all the alcohol is usually when you go to a party. Murphy says she'll have a club soda on the rocks with a twist, which very refreshing order, actually. Mm -hmm. And Frank says he'll have a beer. Sorry, Frank. She's not serving any alcohol tonight. And she does a, she does the thing where she puts herself between the two of them and then does the, the big head jerk with eyes at Murphy behind her. Mm. And she says, you know, a lot of people have been asking about that. I guess I should explain. <laughs> and Corky takes center stage in her apartment. Yeah. Oh, Cork. She announces to the room at large that there will be no liquor tonight because she decided to make it a dry party. And as the people start to grumble, she does her like quirky thing where she does like the uh, at the waist bend over an arm yell that she is such a like, specific quirky move. She goes, I did it for Murphy. We all know she's a drunk and I didn't want to put any temptation in her way. So go on and party knowing that you've done something to help your coworker. Well, she has no sense of like what's personal and like what isn't. Uh-huh. You know, normally I feel like if I didn't already feel like these characters were already well-defined, I'd be like, what are you doing? But it's it to me, it came across as so earnest that yeah. even though it was mm-hmm. so obnoxious, I was like, she really thinks that this is the right thing. She does. For her friend. Yeah. yeah. So. She, that's the thing. She's always trying to help. She thinks it's a compliment to, to let her know she has a high waist problem because everyone everyone knows that. Yeah. Right. She knows well, that. It's a compliment that she's saying like, I see what you did. Well done. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, you know, like as girls, like I know you have a short waist and look at how well you disguise it. Like it's such, it's always coming from this place of love if misplaced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sweetie. Unbridled enthusiasm. Yes. Is what I get. Oh, yeah. Murphy responds to this announcement with a call back to the first scene saying Meryl Streep's probably having a lot of fun right now. Oh, that's right. I forgot to mention the whole that Corky tried to invite Meryl Streep <laughs> and she didn't know who the hell she was. <laughs> Which, fair, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> She's only been on TV for like a year. Which at this point, where were we in Meryl's career? Had she done like Sophie's Choice and that yet? Ni- 1990? Yes. Ooh, I don't Ni- know. Yeah, 1990 definitely had done Sophie's Choice. Yeah, she was Meryl Streep by that She's, point. Yeah, she's Meryl. Yeah, I think she's just starting to like go, maybe I should do a comedy. Yeah. And we were all like, not yet. Yeah, not she yet. had already done what? Kramer versus Kramer? Yeah, because yeah, that yeah, was the yeah. 70s. She, she uh-huh. won an Oscar for that. She's oh, so yeah. young. But yeah, I think she's just starting to look at like She-Devil and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, girl. And uh, the awkward moment is broken up by the arrival of everyone's favorite couple, Jim and Doris oh, Looking Dial. fantastic. Looking great. They're cute. Her dress has pockets. <sighs> Her dress has pockets and she has one of the most glorious overcoats I've ever seen. That like jewel purple thing, which you can tell she's wearing like a ball gown underneath because of the shape she makes. It all matches. And then it sort of dawned on me. I was like, are they the same age as like the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yeah. And they, they're they like a little bit younger. 
so they would have been, you know, they probably met when they were like in their early 20s, I guess. But I was like, it's kind of that same period. Mm-hmm. Like she's dressing because that's what she was brought up to dress as. Like mm-hmm. this is New Year's, everything matches. It's like a different, so such a different era. Mm-hmm. Well, as they're about to say, they met on New Year's Eve 1961. Uh-huh. So if we think about what like what you were wearing mm-hmm. at the time when you were a young thing in 61, Boy. yeah, yeah it makes a lot of how sense. How long have they been together? That's a good question. Do we ever find out how long they've like been married? Long, I guess a long time. If they yeah. met in 1961. I mean, oh, yeah, if they met in 1961, this oh, is I just answered my own question. Yeah. <laughs> Basic. <laughs> oh, but you oh, know, no. but what I was going to say was like how long they've been married because based on their generation, yeah. I'm going to assume not too long. I was going to say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fast track it. Also because they're so perfectly yeah. suited. Yeah. And and hot to trot. Like they're a hot couple. Hot they are trot. a hot couple. So, you know, they were like, mm-hmm. all right, I would like to have sex with you. So we have to be married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and think about it. Like they met in 1961. We're post-war. So there's this like we're getting into like the you know the decade of love and like they're these two kind of clean cut but clearly a little randy mm-hmm. like I th- yeah I think they just jumped right in to that love I can sense the heat between them yeah so I I'm gonna say I think that they were probably married by the next yeah New probably Year. in fact they're they're so good together and this this by the way is the first time we meet Doris oh, okay. so it's amazing mm-hmm. how much chemistry and how comfortable they are with each other I mean obviously they're professional actors like they're good at that but I mm-hmm. kept googling trying to see oh did they work together in the theater and i don't think they did so it's just a testament that they just connected and you feel like they've been married forever yeah well and like janet carroll's brilliance is just the fact that so we know jim's greetings at this point we know his like hello and hey now and all these things the fact that janet carroll immediately walks in jim says hello she says doris says hello in the same voice like the confidence for a character actress to walk in and basically just play jim dial in female form (laughs) yeah such brilliant casting and clearly she you know we'll talk about her she becomes a you know a fixture for oh gosh there's a great phrase on playbill her obituary she frequently played characters that were great fun for viewers, but spelled trouble for the other characters mm. on the show. Jenna yeah, that was her on Married with Children, probably a lot too. Yes. Yeah. I knew Jenna Carroll from her big break in Risky Business. Yes, yeah, see, I did not watch that till I was an adult. I did not realize she was the mom in Risky Business for a long time. I probably shouldn't have watched it till yes. I was older, but here mm-hmm. we are. So mm-hmm. I wrote, uh, Doris is divine in a purple coat and brooch. We love a brooch here we on do. this show. Jim, handsome as ever. The man just gets better with age. He is the fine wine of my life. <laughs> Corky exclaims, Jim, Doris, welcome. I, I imagine that to Corky, Jim, and Doris arriving, is like, oh, thank gosh, someone who appreciates the beautiful party I've created. Sure. Wealth, glamour, mm-hmm. brooches. <laughs> look at them. Uh, just look at you two in black tie. Now, Lauren, did you type this out? I did not. No, I thought you you would do it as a singular reading. You would do it. Um, (laughs) But the thing that I do love about this section, which you're going to get to, is that they Mm. both live their life like news anchors. Yes. It's so beautiful. Thinking of as like a new viewer, you've been hearing about Doris since season one. He mentions her. You know that she's, you know, clearly got him wrapped around a finger, but we're not sure what type of finger we're looking at. So to have someone walk in and just do a line by line share of a news report is satisfying in a way that I'm not sure anybody expected. <laughs> no, and you feel like this is how they have every conversation. You know what oh that was nineteen sixty five and they just like banter back and forth like a volley at a perhaps Wimbledon, <laughs> which we'll get to later. I, it's such a great way to introduce that character, I felt. So Doris says, yes, well, you know, New Year's Eve has always been a special date for them. We met on New Year's Eve, nineteen sixty one. Jim says the world was fraught with change. <laughs> 
Dora says Utan became the interim secretary of the United Nations following Doug Hammarskjöld's death. Jim says American and Soviet tanks faced off between East and West Berlin in a dispute over border transit rights. Dora says, and a little chimp named Enos blasted off from Cape Canaveral and orbited Earth twice. <laughs> the way she says twice is... I know, it's like Earth. Twice. Twice. It's actually kind of hot. <laughs> it's such a, like, headline. And Jim compliments her on the festive home, gives her a bottle of bubbly as a hosting gift. She thanks him profusely, but regrets to share that she's not serving alcohol tonight. You know, the Murphy problem. <laughs> she's the worst. Man, she just reminds me of like a younger like sister that means well that's yeah that's how yep yeah plus they're both blonde so it, Corky yeah. just always receives an oh bless yeah yeah exactly uh what i like is in the background when she says the murphy problem jim like jim is like leaning into doors and just like nods knowingly like oh we know uh, so she says she'll do the same thing to all the other bottles that people brought tonight she'll give it to the party next door um, to what is obviously a rockin' party across the hall. She knocks on the door. When they when they crack it open, there are, like, pulsing colored lights that hit her face. She goes, here you go. And this hand reaches out, cheers us to her, shuts the door. And Corky heads into her party, closely followed by Miles and Audrey. Uh, Anita, I'd love your first impression yes. of Audrey. Well, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, you know, glasses definitely make a difference. Yes, I think it helped mm-hmm. me uh, separate Jane Leaves as Daphne uh, in, uh, and made me associate this young lady with, uh, I guess, uh, f- being a female ni- Miles. That's yes, how I that's what they were going for. Yep, yeah, that's just how I read it. I think the height difference also added a <laughs> bit of humor to me, oh God, if I'm so being good. honest. But yeah, no, I definitely, the, the, the glasses really gave me a sense of her character and uh, also then just uh her or, or her being like you know something along the lines of oh it's interesting that you're inviting me out tonight of all nights it's been how however long and he's like just go with it just pretend that we've been dating for a while which also told me a lot about him and that he's extremely insecure and yeah. cares very much what other people think mm-hmm. and but she also i i like that seemingly they both uh were hard for a night out <laughs> the fact that she said yes was yes like, I also didn't have a lot of options for tonight. So I appreciated that they were about to enter into this lie together and loved that she really went for it. Highly recommend you meeting Audrey the first time. When when he says, like, no one needs to know this is our second date. It's New Year's Eve. And her, oh, okay. If you've seen Audrey previously, you know exactly what's about to happen. That's not good. Because our first meeting of Audrey is just yes anding all over the place. Okay, all right. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. (laughs) She's amazing. Yeah, she was great. They they rush up as the door is closing. Audrey's still applying some blush and Miles is trying to hurry her up. And as you said, she's trying to say, I'm going as fast as I can. You only called to invite me 45 <laughs> minutes ago. You know, I'm beginning to think I wasn't first choice. <laughs> when she's like, Miles. And Miles does his very classic, you know, like, oh, what are you talking about? If you think an executive producer couldn't get a date until the last minute, I scoff, which is my new phrase in life. It's just pointing at myself and saying, I scoff. Right. And that's funny because um, scoffing is like, to me, it's the action you don't actually say. Yeah. I scoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at me do this. I scoff at you. <laughs> He's, Grandshot is a genius physical comedian. And my God, mm-hmm. um, as Obviously, we witness in this yeah. episode. Uh, he shares he's been under a lot of stress. And for once, he just wants to go let loose and enjoy himself. She wants to know why they haven't been out since that one blind date four months ago, which is a very interesting timestamp for us, knowing the full series it was, yeah. of the last time we saw her. I was like, oh, God, that was only four months ago in their world. Okay. Because it's been a mm-hmm. while for us. His apology is that it's just that the date was so powerful. <laughs> 
It took him time to absorb it. I like it. <laughs> so this is when he says, you know, it's our second age. He goes, oh, okay. And any viewer's like, oh, no. Oh, no. And at that moment, two very wasted party goers from the rockin' party next door leave to go down the hall. And I love it. They're like, the dress is starting to come off. There's a thing. And she goes, wow, this party is really rockin'. I guess you were right about getting here early. Miles says, that's not our party. This is our party. Enter, enter funeral. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so we enter yeah. to um, the Carpenters close to you, which <laughs> says everything. I don't know if you're familiar with the Carpenters. It's a jazz saxophone carpenter. Yes, close. it's oh, definitely music not. that's no. maybe the stereotypical music of what squares might listen to, uh-huh. to use an old term. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the Carpenters, I'm not calling you a square. <laughs> but that, that would be the comic interpretation in 1990 of playing the Carpenters in such a way. <laughs> they have a great Christmas album. I'll stand by that. This is where we're going to meet what I refer to as Fun Miles, <laughs> where Miles is trying way too hard yeah. To be a fun guy, which I've met people like this, where like their voice uh-huh. changes and they're lower and you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, we know this isn't you. No, I'm fun guy. I'm going to do this. And hey, it's gonna. And he's just putting on an entire act as you keyed into very well, Anita. He's a very insecure person. So uh, Miles introduces Audrey to Corky. Corky is surprised because she would think that she would have known um, whom Miles was dating, which of course leads us to Audrey to save the day with her huge lie. (laughs) They wanted to be private because they've been seeing each other steadily since the Prince of Wales introduced them at Wimbledon. (laughs) It's... The, like you do. Like you do. She takes it to the 110th, you know, uh, length. And it ends with her squeezing Miles' cheek and calling him Pookie, which will be his nickname uh, for the rest of the series, pretty much. Yes. And then we get to sort of the crux that we've been alluding to. Miles drinks the punch. He goes, whoa, what'd you put in there? A bottle of rum? Uh, Frank wants to let him know there's no alcohol in there. But Murphy stops him. Uh, he gives his keys to Audrey because, you know, it's going to be a long night. And Frank, again, tries to tell him. But Murphy does this great thing where she just sort of stops his hand and goes, it's something to do. (laughs) I'm with her. (laughs) Me too. That is exactly what I want. (laughs) Yes. I mean, the smile on Candace Bergen's face through most of this, just watching Grant Shad is fantastic because she's so enjoying herself but a little bit i think is also the actress enjoying watching grant do all this stuff so eventually murphy's reading (laughs) as i mentioned i noticed a lot of people reading she's reading a bride magazine um frank was checking in on her and she's really despondent because she's finally seeing new year's through it's funny she said a straight person's eyes and i Mm. i never really heard of someone who doesn't drink as a straight person before me neither oh that's how i first ever heard that phrase yeah, straight. It's just the towing the straight line. So she doesn't think how anything is mm-hmm. going to get worse. And then Miles comes in and he's excitedly singing the Pointer Sisters and he's got a tie around his neck and his jacket around his waist. And I'm not even sure if like his shirt is coming out of his pants. It's like completely crazy. And he's doing this <laughs> dancing thing. I think at one point he like jumps up and does like a high kick. <laughs> like he looks. He does Mick Jagger. That's what it is. It's Mick Jagger. <laughs> It's fantastic. Yes. I mean, I know that you're used to a lot of physical comedy on Frasier. Yeah, I definitely, um, to make another Frasier comparison, some, uh, something I, I definitely liked about Miles was his anxiety and how he acted it out with his physical acting and even just the way he speaks, too. Because, like, n- not mm-hmm. that he has, like, a stutter, but it it always feels like it's on the cusp where he's like, well, we've got to, you know, I don't and uh, and then taking it to the next <laughs> level, like he can't just have a good because of the kind of person he is. It was seemed quite clear, like he couldn't just 
yet to go to take it to the next level. Like if I'm having a good time, I'm really going to oh, yeah. be performative about it. Yeah, he gets uh, the drink all over him. Uh, gets obsessed with the flowers. Uh, he's and everyone's looking at him like uh, he's crazy. I mean, Doris literally mm -hmm. is clutching her non-existent <laughs> pearls. It makes me think of um, his antics in this and like what he thinks drunk and letting loose yes. looks like. Yes, makes me think of uh, Eugene Levy in Waiting for Guffman when he says, "People ask me if I was a class clown, and I say no, but I sat behind him and took notes." Like that. I feel like this is what Miles thinks people look like when they do this, and thus he's all yeah. in on it, having I, not I picture if this it. happened today that he went on uh, WikiHow and looked at <laughs> a visual <laughs> aid of like, this is what happens when people get too drunk. And he's like, this is what I'm going yes. to do. I'm going to unbutton my pants. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, and I'm going to collapse on this couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mm -hmm. when he collapses on the couch, Murphy pretty much pleads, please, can I be the one to tell him, please? And everyone's like, I think, you know, think it's about time. Even Corky's like, what is wrong with you? So he's just, oh, he's so, oh, I've m missed the best part, actually, I forgot, is when um, Audrey, played by the amazing Jane Leaves, oh, <laughs> takes off her glasses and cleans them as she talks, which is such great comic timing to say... They're misty from her yes, tears. Just to say how this has been a difficult <laughs> period for them because he just can't hold his liquor and kind of runs off. So, you know, Murphy is right in his face and she's just like touching, touching his forehead, lets him know that there's nothing in the punch, which he doesn't really quite understand it at first. And then gets the best part and tells him that he, the only thing he's high on is 10% fruit juice. <laughs> Uh, and just as this is happening, mm -hmm. I, this is when I wrote, you know, all of our office extras that we're used to, which we kind of know their names and don't. We have Eyeglasses Guy, we have Fran, and we have Mullet Guy, mm -hmm. and they all make their excuses to leave. Mm -hmm. um, but Corky says that they're really going to miss the best part of this, which is that they have a game. Noel has brought a game for them, and Corky starts handing out these papers to which Jim confesses to Doris that um, he's not wearing a blindfold. And she goes, you know, I, this is a great sort of moment that shows how long they've been in a relationship. I love that. Mm -hmm. We cut to uh, them having played the game, which, by the way, is how long will you live? It's 35, Thanks, 35 questions. I tried to find this test. I couldn't find one that was 35. I'd said I would live to 95, but it also right. didn't ask about nice. any chronic illnesses I have. So, you know, that might be a problem. Well, I'm not playing that yeah. game. I I. For I, as, a, as an anxious person, no need for me to mm -hmm. know the answer to that or even a prediction. Yep. I'm, I'm living on the hope and the prayer of the fact that the women in my family seem to hit the 90s pretty consistently. Nice. So I'm going to I'm just going to be like, yeah, that's my that's my fortune. Right. I'm not going to look at anything else because I will fall down WebMD. And oh, lose my mind. and I have myself. <laughs> yep. Same. Mm -hmm. um, and so we cut to the results of this game. <laughs> uh, so Jim has banked a, a good old zero at 72. He's stuck there, which I just want to update that Charlie Kimbrough, who plays Jim, is still in his 80s. Mm -hmm. So killing it. Nice. Uh, Doris is going to outlive him at 74. Very classic hetero relationship Absolutely. where she's going to outlive him a yeah. little yep. bit. Corky's going to hit 80, but Noel will hit 82. <laughs> Frank has 53. <laughs> he goes, are they kidding? This can't be right. What'd you get, Murphy? Murphy's finishing addition. Carry the one, six here. Yes, 97. <laughs> Read it and weep. What I love is that everyone immediately looks scandalized and immediately calls her a cheater. Mm. They all she know. She was an alcoholic till she was 40. It, she's cheating. Exactly. She's cheating. She's clearly cheating. Frank jumps up, grabs a paper. She skipped question seven. She lied on question 12. <laughs> Why stop at 97, Murphy? Why not say 110 or 205? <laughs> to which Noel goes, watch that blood pressure, Frank. It'll kill you like that. 
<laughs> Noel. I am interested in the fact that, I jumping a little ahead, knowing that Corky is done with Noel, mm-hmm. I'm so intrigued by the fact that I don't see any hints of that leading up to her, her goodbye of him. Not oh, that's funny. I didn't see all. it that way. I saw it more of she's a traditional girl and he assumed that he was going to have sex with her that night. And that's not an assumption that you make. He's not staying. He didn't even ask her. He's just staying. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. we are not having sex. And as we learn, Corky is keep saving herself for her husband. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's funny. I didn't see it that way. Based on her goodbye, it's more than that because she's clearly annoyed with oh, him okay. and his medicine practice. Yeah. Because of her response at that the is end, which is why I'm like, Great. at this point, she's like, he's so funny. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, I feel like there's something that happens in the bustling around that turns her off as well. Mm-hmm. But I am so, I, maybe it's because she's just the hostess with the mostest. She's a good Southern That's girl true. who's very polite until she has to cut him down. Corky at that moment diffuses by looking at her watch and realizing that it's one minute till midnight. So everyone's getting up. She's getting them party hats. She's getting them, you know, something to toast with. I'm sure it's water. Mm-hmm. And Frank's a, Frank makes his way toward the TV because they're going to watch the ball go down. Uh, and he says, sure, no problem. When the clock strikes midnight, I'll be another year closer to death. Let's all dance and sing. <laughs> Which I feel like I've been that person at least yes. once in my mm-hmm. life. Uh, yeah. He too. laments he's 40 years old and nothing to show for it. He's wasted the best years of his life. He can't remember what he did last Tuesday. Meanwhile, Corky, sh- Corky is shuffling around with hats. <laughs> she has a tiara, of course. <laughs> two, five, four, three, two, one, with a resounding Happy New Year <laughs> from everyone. Like, Murphy does a little, uh, oh, what's the blow toy thing? Oh, uh, the bee. Yeah, yeah I, I know you're talking about. I don't know what the official name yeah, for it, though. I don't know what it's called. A noisemaker? Sure. A noisemaker? Noise that sounds noise right. Noisemaker? Noisemaker? Yeah. She does it at about a 45 degree angle down to the ground. We have something like, yay. There's clearly an ellipses throughout this entire Happy New Year. Everyone's kind of hugging, doing their thing. Murphy whaps the TV off and says, well, that's, I guess that just about wraps it up. Another day, another decade. Corky, it's been fun. Frank, let's go. And whaps him on the arm on the way out. Mm-hmm. Which also have been that. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone starts to say their goodbye. And Corky, very upset, tries to stop everyone from leaving by saying they haven't said their resolutions yet. Murphy is glaring at Corky's back and says, I'm wearing gloves, Frank. I could choke her now and not leave any fingerprints. Frank says goodbye, opens the door. The music from the hall barrels into the apartment from the other rockin' party. They close the door and Murphy turns around and says, you know, this is really sad. You guys said we could pull off a good time on New Year's without booze. And here we are going home at midnight. What do you say we do something crazy? We'll put our heads together. I know what this group will come up with something great. Murphy and Frank make their way into the hallway. They're about to walk away. Murphy halts and realizes she left her purse in the bedroom, sending Frank after it. And skitters off with what I call her Murphy prank face. <laughs> like a cartoon character. She yeah. is a cartoon character. Like she's a cartoon character and Kermit the Frog at once in these moments. <laughs> I, knew mischief, I knew mischief was coming with that look. Yes. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a, a very specific skitter. Mm-hmm. So we cut into the apartment where everyone's thanking Corky for a wonderful time. <laughs> Doris is, you know, being the lovely older woman who's like really acknowledging her. By the way, we have not mentioned her beautiful sparkly ball gown. Mm, it's really nice. That like top is incredible and audrey is telling corky that she hopes that corky can come to their place next time to which miles tries to be like oh audrey (laughs) and walk away noel's doing the handshake line like he is the husband of the home and uh saying goodbye to everybody and corky just kind of looks at him goes noel where's your coat he goes i'm not leaving and suddenly we see this freeze on corky's face and she says that's what you think it's a very like modern woman line from corky i just wrote yes girl and he does what is one of my least favorite things that a man can do and condescendingly say, hey, Corky, get serious. And then tries to make the joke of, do you know how hard it is to get a doctor on New Year's Eve? 
And Corky looks him in the eyes and goes, socialized medicine, Noel. It's coming. It's coming very soon. <laughs> to which I wrote, sigh. <laughs> and at that moment, we see Murphy climbing over the balcony into the apartment with a, hey, Frank, and starts chucking snowballs. My favorite part about this moment, aside from the fact that it's snowballs inside and Corky screaming about no snowballs in the house, is everyone becomes children. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. And I also love that it was Mur- Doris- it was Murphy's idea. So she did find yeah. a way to have fun uh-huh. without alcohol. Yeah. I was happy exactly. for her. Exactly. Yeah. And, and everyone's so in on it. Doris, my queen, is like rushes a screaming corky dumps snow over her head gets hit in the chest by one feigns like a mortal wound and then jim hits her in the face with snow she gives the best playful shriek mm-hmm. i've ever heard and they laugh together and they start a tickle fight and then they just start making out on the floor i am so in love with them yeah someone's having hot sex tonight oh yeah that was that was like oh yeah they they got it going on they yeah. have a great marriage the fire's been burning and mm-hmm. it still is yeah <laughs> oh, what a match. And what a great thing to be like the sexiest couple in the episode is the like elder statesman and his wife. Mm-hmm. That gives me something to look forward to. Like, yeah, I love to right? see people over, I don't know, what, 35? What is that considered yeah. on TV elderly? Uh, uh, yeah. Alluding yeah. to a hot sex life. Give me more. I same. love it. Same. Yeah. Get it. Get it, Jim and Doris. Get mm-hmm. it. So then we actually go to the, the end of the night. Murphy is at her townhouse. She but. In the townhouse, of course, is Eldon still painting. And I think this is one of the first time we actually really see a mural of his, which is interesting. I mean, we've seen him paint, mm-hmm. sort of do a black and white version of something. But this is still kind of kind of a painting, which you don't usually see. Usually it's on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his girlfriend, Felicia, so the last time we see her, is bugging him. They need to go out and do something, but he needs to, to finish. Of course, what we realize later is that he's actually staying up for Murphy to be sure she didn't drink, which mm-hmm. is really lovely. Yeah. So Murphy comes in, but she gets one more snowball in the back by Frank. She's going to get him. Uh, and Felicia is kind of, you know, wondering why uh, she keeps him here all the time. You know, at one point, I think she rolls her eyes, Murphy, and looks off to the side. I love when Candace does these sort of like takes and looks. It's really great. So Eldon says that they'll go, they'll go bowling, kind of get them out of there. And Felicia's really excited and she leaves. And before they leave, of course, Eldon, who has a crush on Corky, asks about Corky. That's mm-hmm. why they ask about her. It's pretty a normal, you know, range. It's not very loud, but he says, you know, don't yell it. And of <laughs> course, Felicia hears it. He's like, oh, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> Murphy actually does something that you wouldn't know, Anita, but the taking off the shoes and circling around the couch in the mail, that's literally from the pilot. Mm-hmm. That's something that she does, turning off her answering machine. But when she sits on the couch, she sees sort of a empty well, almost empty bottle of champagne. There's still some left and she tries to ignore it, but she can't. Now, what's amazing is this next moment is actually two minutes. So it's two minutes of silence. Mm-hmm. And it's this beautiful scene where she picks it up and she walks around with it and she she just can't ignore it. And you're, you're kind of unsure what she's going to do with it mm-hmm. until finally she kind of makes her way around the couch and dumps it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful moment. It was really uh, uh, usually silence, but granted, because I like Frasier, there also have been moments of silence on Frasier. Generally, you'd think with a studio audience, it's uncomfortable, but it wasn't. It was really like I was truly curious about what was going to happen and what and, you know, you could really see her thinking it through. And I was very happy that she didn't drink it. Yeah, it was. really uh, Yeah, it was nice. The audience applaud. Yeah. You know, I said kind of like the Fonz is there. Like it's still very sort of a sitcom moment because it was so quiet, but it's really actually quite beautiful. 
Yeah. And then Eldon bursts in with this excuse oh, about yeah. the the turpentine because he probably he realized that. And I I think they were probably driving like he made them turn the car around because this was mm-hmm. you know two or three minutes. minutes are gone. Yeah, she knows why he's back and she just cuts him off and says no I I you know I dumped it. He's so proud of her and he gives her a kiss and it's really sort of a beautiful moment because I think she realizes how much her friends love her. You know this whole night was about her friends being there for her. Mm-hmm. And then she goes over to the light switch. She puts the glass down and still like looking at it. Like this is not the episode that Candace Bergen submitted for Emmy consideration, but she won the Emmy this year, this mm-hmm. season of the show. Mm-hmm. And I think you really see it in this moment. Like you said, she's really looking at it and contemplating it and yeah. just sort of wry look in her eye. And she just turns off the light. And then the episode. Ends. It's such a risky move for a sitcom mm-hmm. yeah, to do that kind of ending. Mm-hmm. At this point, like this sitcom has become popular for those moments of taking those those dramatic risks because they pay off. You trust your audience Mm -hmm. to want that. Mm -hmm. And I just it's what a way to ring in the new year with something like that that is like goes walks a spectrum from Miles doing Mick Jagger, not actually drunk physical comedy to that moment in a single episode. It's massive. And there's a reason this show is popular for that reason. And I and and when I was that was definitely one of my favorite moments of the show was her contemplating. To me, how I interpreted it was at first, definitely at the first moment she sees it. There's to me, I read it as like she's considering it. But at a certain point, after one or two times where she's just looking at the drink itself, I started to interpret that as her getting past that she was going to drink it and more reminiscing thinking about like, okay, going through the moments of what alcohol was in her life. So it was really like stages. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. I saw the actor that is Candace Bergen choosing to see something different every time she looked at that glass. Yeah. The only thing is I wish that we had more of this in the series. You know, they don't really um I know that was a choice by the creative team. And it's obviously not mom. Like it's not like, you know, she'd be going to AA every day. Mm-hmm. Like I get that. But I do wish that we had more moments where we talked about this underlining thing in her life. But it's still, this is one of my favorite episodes. I really love it. And uh, I'm glad we got to to cover it on the show. Yeah. Me too. Anita, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you and, and everything like that? Yeah. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at the same handle. It's Anita, A-N-I-T-A, Jutina, J-E-W-T-I-N-A, because I'm a Jewish Latina. Thank you for the massive time that you've given us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad we got to cover like such a fun episode. Yes. Granted, I haven't seen that many episodes. I always love a party episode of a sitcom. So it was yeah, great. We're going to change that, though. We're going to give you some more Murphy episodes to watch. Great. Love it. Thank you oh, so much yeah. for having me. Thank you this for being really on fun. the show. And we'll see you soon for another edition of FYI. The Murphy Brown Podcast.